Yo, it is S. Foster, and I'm back again for another episode of 28 Minutes or Less, and this is episode 33 of the podcast. And I got a very special subject matter today. Um, some people may not think that it's very special, but, you know, one of the things that I like to do with this podcast is I like to surprise people with stuff, and I like to be, you know what I'm saying, off the radar. Like, I don't like to have a lot of the same subject matters and just, you know what I'm saying? I like to throw in different things because I'm a person that loves to learn things as well. Like, I don't like to just, you know, keep it in the same thing. That's why I do so many different podcasts as far as, you know, I do my sports podcast with The Stolen Time. You know, I do The Viewers Anonymous with the guy Scoots Bronson. I do um, Stolen Time with Uncle Washington. And the viewers anonymous is strictly like movies and we do documentaries and things like that. But there are some things that I like to do, um, you know, because a lot of it is, I mean, with me doing three podcasts, obviously I can keep my mouth shut on certain things. And the subject matter today is it's at the bottom of the ticker for the people that are watching this on YouTube is Larry Davis. Now, you may say, who is Larry Davis? Um, Larry Davis was... Um, a person from New York who was, you know, put put in a bad situation, but he had a vision. And within side of that vision, you know, he used some other tools to make money, right? So what makes Larry David stand out? Now, see, there's different types of documentaries on him um, done by different people. And the one that I was made aware of Larry Davis was the American Gangster episode. I think it was the third season, I believe, of American Gangster that used to come on BET back in the day. And that's what made me aware of Larry Davis. And so the backstory of Larry Davis was basically he was a guy who had a vision, but he just happened to be in New York at a very bad time. Um, Because around... 1985, 1986, that's when, you know what I'm saying, crack really started to make its way into New York. And what a lot of people don't seem to, not that they don't seem to realize it, but they always like to leave out the, because my thing is, the reason I'm captivated with these type of things and also watching, um, you know, stuff about American gangsters. Like, when I would watch things like that, it's not to glorify the people. Not at all. Um, there was nothing that I was captivated on and that level of wanting to do that. And what a lot of people don't know about me is, like, I grew up around this type of stuff. You know what I'm saying? It was in the house that I lived in. It was in the residence that I lived in. You know what I'm saying? Like, so I was around, you know what I'm saying, drugs around my life. And two things that really kept me away from it. The two things was, number one, it was sports. Sports was one of the things that, you know, I, I guess I kind of looked at it as a way out, but I didn't take sports as seriously as I should. Um, that was the reason why I missed out on a ton of scholarship opportunities. Um, I didn't take school as seriously. I, pr I pretty much used, you know what I'm saying, school for another place to go to sleep. But, so that was one thing. And the second thing was fear. Um, 
when I say fear, it was more of not wanting to take the risk of going to jail. Jail was just a place that I never wanted to go. So one of the ways to stay out of there is not do things to break the law. So that was really my hugest motivation to not get into that lifestyle, even though that lifestyle was around me. And so Larry Davis was a guy, very savvy, very smart guy who wanted to start a record label. Now, the things that we hear, you know, this happened to Master P. This was one of the reasons why Master P had to change the name um, from No Limit to the new No Limit or something like that. Um, I forget the whole story, but it was tracked down that he used drug money to start his record label. And when you look at a lot of the black artists who got into the game, especially around that time of the 80s and the 90s, and, and look, this is not all of them. So I'm not saying that this is how all these guys got there. All I'm saying is that was the route that some of them had to take to get there. And it was put in these circumstances for a reason. So I always say there is a reason for certain things because people will always demonize drug dealers or, you know, people who would do certain things by any means necessary to get to where they're going. A lot of the times there are reasons why they're there. And that's the whole thing of just like if you want to use sports, um, prime example, my San Francisco 49ers. You know, I think we only won like five or six games or something like that. And this is not an excuse. It's more of a reason. They had the most players in NFL history on IR this year. And that includes like, I mean, they started the season off with the uh, top receiver down. Their quarterback got hurt. Their best, they the dude that won rookie of the year the previous year, he was out. Um, the top corner on the team, the two top corners on the team was out. Then their safety went out. Then the other safety went out. So basically, I'm, I think I'm making my point here. There's a reason why they was in the Super Bowl last year and didn't make the playoffs this year. And the reason why a lot of these people had to use drugs to get to a lot of those situations was because of how the government and how slavery, Jim Crow, reconstruction, redlining, all this stuff affected these guys to where they could not get jobs. And then you have to sit back and you have to listen to what some of these people went through. See, I didn't go through the worst part. Like, if I would have went through what some of these guys went through, then maybe I would have taken, you know, taken school more seriously to get out of these type of situations because, you know, I grew up in a working class family. You know what I'm saying? My dad worked at a job for, um, when he retired, I think he was there for like 37 years, 38 years or something like that. I'm 36 years old and my dad had to not play varsity sports because he had to start working in the mill when he was in the 10th grade when his father died. So, you know, my mom worked in fast food, you know, pretty much all her life. So I grew up in a working class family where, I mean, I didn't have a ton of stuff, but like that drug money that was coming in was able to afford me to get things like a Nintendo and all types of things like that. So I wasn't like in the situation that some of these guys went through. Like some of these people went through when you listen to their stories, 
they would sit back and they would watch their mom work three jobs and she still could not feed them. They're wearing the hand-me-down clothes. Like they're in like the worst situations and they was in worse parts of the country than I'm in. And so a lot of these guys would see the drug dealers and they would look up to the drug dealers for the simple fact of these guys, they don't work a nine to five. They're driving a Mercedes. They got the best shoes. They got the best clothes. They got this big jewelry on. And it's like, okay, so my mom is working three jobs. I don't have any clothes. I'm wearing my older brother's clothes. My mom still can't feed us. But this dude ain't doing nothing but hanging out on the street. And he got a car, chains, shoes, all this stuff. So a lot of their motivation had shifted to their street life. And when it comes to Larry Davis, and to get back to the Larry Davis story and the music thing, and the why some of these drug dealers, not only were they just going to music because they had a talent, it was they knew they had a talent. What's the best way to get into music? Well, back then, you know, you had to have studio time. You couldn't just go on your phone and you see SoundCloud and you could just record a record from there. You know, just like how I'm doing this podcast right now, this stuff wasn't available for these people at that time. So what Larry did was Larry started selling drugs for the police. Yes, for the police. Now in New York, like one of the greatest examples is there's a a documentary on Netflix called The 9-5. Oh no, it's The 7-5. The 7-5, I'm sorry. It's called The 7-5. And it's about how the 75th precinct in New York how they were selling drugs and using these drug dealers and you know they was paying those guys off all of this type so they was in the whole now they actually one of the documentaries that i watched on larry davis was they used footage from um this one court date from this one guy that was um that worked in the in the seventh um, in the 75th precinct and he was talking about how he was making like $8,000 on the side from selling drugs with drug dealers. And he was saying that he was intoxicated on the job where he was sniffing Coke and he was drinking alcohol. And so a lot of these dirty cops was the reason why a lot of them got dirty was because they sit back and they're watching these drug dealers and they're like, how can I make extra money because we sitting here and we're arresting these guys and they got, you know what I'm saying, rubber bands full of money. And they're like, these guys ain't doing shit. So instead of just locking these dudes up because it was a market that they couldn't control because the government was flooding these neighborhoods with more drugs. So you're arresting people and you also got to realize at that time in New York, what they was doing for cops to get overtime. Yo, check this out. This is so crazy. They was giving these cops overtime only if they could arrest five people. So it got to the point where they started arresting people just to arrest them. And so these people would go to jail for, you know, being drunk on the street, um, smoking a blunt or a joint or whatever, you know, smoking crack. So they're not even really breaking any 
quote unquote laws, but they're just arresting them. And these people walking around with because they don't they can't they're arresting a lot of poor people who cannot afford to get out. That was the biggest thing about Rikers Island. The biggest thing about Rikers Island was these people that lived in these impoverished neighborhoods where their parents can barely afford to even feed them, right? Could barely feed them. How can they get them out of jail? So they're sitting in jail for two, three months. And then they give them a public defender who's probably doing like 200 cases. So they ended up getting a drug charge when they didn't do anything wrong. So these cops was just to get overtime. They had to arrest five people and they didn't arrest five people. They were sending them home. So these cops are looking at all of these drug dealers making all this money, all this money, all this money. So they're like, well, we might as well jump on, you know, jump on in on this too. So they started shaking these guys down, but they started using kids. Okay, listen to me. When when I finally get into the Larry Davis story, Larry Davis was 19 years old. All right, when they started using him to sell drugs for them. So Larry was selling drugs for these cops. But like I say, he was a very smart and savvy guy. Larry had not just one, but a few studios in New York at the time. Even had a studio in Manhattan because him and his brother started doing this music thing and they wanted to take the music serious. And the reason why the cops finally flipped on Larry Davis was because Larry was um, dating this girl and the girl got pregnant and Larry was really excited about the baby the cops knew about the baby knew about the girl being pregnant and they were selling her she ended up losing the baby um, from doing crack and word got out that the cops sold her the crack so she lost the baby. So Larry's like, yo, I'm out. Like, I'm just going to focus on this music thing. But not only did Larry say he was out, Larry kept the money that he was supposed to give the cops. So the cops can't have it. They're like, yo, we need that money back. And Larry's like, nah, I'm not giving you the money back. So they took it to the lengths of like, yo, we're going to go to your mama house. They go to his mama house, him, his mama up tell her that we're going to put a bullet through his forehead in between his eyes. You know, they, they go to his sister's house, shake his sister up, and all this type of stuff, right? So now they finally hunt him down at his sister's house. And what ended up happening at his sister's house is they busted in there with shotguns, all this type of stuff. And then they come in and they shoot uh, 12 gauge at Larry Larry sees it coming throws his head back and he even showed the scar on his head with a bullet grazed his head so they shot at him and they had all internals and motive to kill him because Larry's like I'm not giving you the money back like this is the money that I made so I'm not going to give you the money back so Larry starts shooting back at them Larry ended up shooting six cops and then he jumped out of the fire escape like I think they said it was like 25 feet in the air and so Larry went on the largest 
even to this day, the largest manhunt in the state of New York for two weeks where they couldn't find him. So all of this stuff is going on. And, like, and then the crazy, this is the crazy part. And this is what I love about, about doing my podcast with my Uncle Washington. So this was back in 2017. Matter of fact, I can tell you which episode it was because I was stunned. It was back way all the way back. If you want to hear the story for yourself, go all the way back to episode four of the Stolen Time podcast. So we was talking and I asked him because see my backstory my uncle Washington is from New York he moved down here if I'm not mistaken in 2000 and he's my uncle by marriage he, he married my dad's sister and so I said if you could do a biopic on anyone who would you do right so he had to think about it so I told him who I would do I told him, which I'm finally excited about this because real quick, real quick, Judas of the Black Messiah comes out next month. I have been waiting on a Fred Hampton movie since I was like 25 years old. Like I've been waiting on this forever. Like I am so ready for this movie to come out. Very excited about that. But anyway, I said that I am going to do, well, not that I'm going to do, that I would love to see a Fred Hampton movie and I would love to see a Larry Davis movie so he was like oh Larry Davis he was like man he hid out in the projects that I lived at and he just says it all nonchalant like it wasn't nothing I'm like yo like this was the biggest manhunt in New York and you telling me that you was in the project that he was hiding out and he was like yeah he was like the thing about the projects what people don't know is is you could go down to the basement and you can go. He was like, if you know how to navigate through, you could go into different projects without even going outside. So he was like, that's what Larry was doing. He was going down to the um, to the basement and he was going into these different projects. So they're going all around the Bronx and, you know what I'm saying, Brooklyn and all Queens, all these places. And Larry never left. I think he said he was only in two different projects, uh, project buildings. So he never left the area. So when he jumped out, <clears throat> when he jumped down the fire escape or whatever, and then he went into this other one. So he hid out at this other place and he basically like used his, uh, he ended up staying with this lady and he was like helping her with a kid and he told her to go down and call his mom and let his mom know that he was okay and all this type stuff but long story short he navigated his own like thing like to turn himself in and he wanted to make sure that he told them like yo i wasn't trying to kill y'all y'all shot at me first and i shot back in self-defense so larry ended up turning himself in after two weeks so he turns himself in and then he goes through the, because this is the thing, anytime you shoot at cops or kill a cop, anything like that, you're done deal. And what ended up happening to Larry was these correctional cops are going to look at you as cop killer you know you attack the cops so they're going to protect their own you know what i'm saying that it's that code that they have 
So Larry ended up getting stabbed up, beat up in Rikers Island, you know, by the police. And they ended up getting him out of there um, for trial. But then Larry had to go around in a wheelchair. And so they had a whole bunch of charges on him. And they had, you know, the charges of trying to kill the cops. They had um, charges on him for um, killing these drug dealers. They had uh, kidnapping charges on him, gun charges on him possession charges like he had like if I'm not mistaken like 14 or 16 different charges so when they went to court and they used the whole ballistics they used the all that little stuff with the lasers all that like 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 what they did with Fred Hampton they was able to you know prove that it was 99 shots that went into his bedroom and one shot went out um and then Larry did not Larry but um Fred didn't even shoot the gun but my whole point is they was able to prove the self-defense and he was the one, the cops were the people who, you know, shot at him. He was defending himself. So Larry ended up getting off on the charges of trying to shoot at the cops. But what ended up happening was the fact that they got him with possession of the guns. And what makes Larry's story so unique is the fact that this guy actually shot at police and he did not die. And not only did he did not shoot, that he shot at the police and did not die and he ended up actually getting arrested. Now, they did a number on him while he was in jail. But nobody lives to tell a story, really, that they shot at the police. And that's what makes Larry's so unique and the other thing that makes him unique and I say this all the time when it comes down to drug dealers like I look at the reason why for number one and the second reason why I'm fascinated with these people because a lot of the times these guys are very smart and Larry could have been now, I didn't hear any of the music that he was involved in. I didn't go that deep into the story. But it, he could have been Diddy before Diddy. He could have been Master P before Master P. We don't know. This dude could have been, the, you know what I'm saying? Around that time, he was, he, was, he, was, he was starting around this time, but he could have been Jay Prince. With him going on that route of this music and using the drug money that he was getting from the police, and I'm going to keep saying that, because a lot of the times people judge the drug dealers without thinking about how they even got their hands on the drugs. You know, I just watched um, that crack documentary on Netflix the other weekend, and they were just talking about how the government was bringing all of this cracking and, and this is things that I already knew like you know watching um that documentary on Netflix just like a lot of the footage I've already seen anyway what made it unique was the fact that you know they had some former drug users on there um you know some different drug dealers uh, people that we probably never really heard of um it was it was it was educational but a lot of the stuff I already knew anyway um, you know talking about how 
Guatemala was a very huge place um, that was involved in the drug trade with the United States and Reagan. Um, so some stuff ended up happening. And so a way that they could do it or even pay Nicaragua, not Nicaragua, but Guatemala to keep doing what they're doing was they ended up started. That's when our government first started selling drugs to Iran. So they would sell, not drugs, I'm sorry. They started selling guns. All right. Start selling guns to Iran and then take the money from the guns that they sold to Iran and gave it to the people of Guatemala. And then they still ended up bringing the drugs back in. And what made that so interesting was the fact that when it got here, they thought they could control it and only keep it in the black community. But obviously, we know that that did not happen. So when when you look at this stuff, when you look at this stuff, you have to think of the reason why. Why did the government wanted the black community to be devastated with drugs? All right. And then you have to think, well, why would these people sell drugs to their own people at the same time? Well, when, when you ain't got nothing and you are told that you're never going to have anything, that's the whole thing of loving yourself. Why would a young kid that don't have nothing and feel that he's never gonna be nothing? You know, that's just like the famous Tupac quote in the movie Juice when he played Bishop. And he told Q, he said, yo, I ain't shit. He was like, I ain't never gonna be shit. And you less than a man than me. So when I feel that you ain't shit, bow. Riverside, motherfucker. You remember that shit. And that's what he said. And that's that mentality that these kids have. Like, they don't love themselves. So why would they give a shit about selling drugs to, you know what I'm saying, a pregnant woman or... Oh, you ain't got no money. Well, you ain't cracked out yet. You could just give me some head and then we straight. They don't have that humanity in their heart because they don't love themselves. So why are they going to feel any type of way for selling these drugs to these people? Now, a person like Larry, Larry had a vision. It wasn't that Larry really wanted to sell drugs. It was the fact that Larry wanted to use these drugs to get his record label started. And then I'm pretty sure that he was going to be out of that business as soon as it got it popping. And what ended up happening to Larry was, you know, he ended up, you know, becoming a Muslim. Um, he found the Nation of Islam or you know, whichever one you want to call it, the temple or whatever. Um, he ended up getting charged with that possession of gun and aggravated, um, not aggravated, but alleged homicide. And he served 25 years. And like I say, when all this stuff happened, Larry was 19 years old. So these police was using kids, young black kids to sell drugs for them. And the only people that get the bad rap is the drug dealers. 
We never really talk bad about the government. We never really talk bad about these cops that are using kids and locking these kids up. And like I always say about this stuff, another thing that I learned about watching all of these American Gangster episodes is the fact of when you in the beginning of it, I mean, you got to think about it. Like, take the Chambers brothers um, for an example. The Chambers brothers had a thing called the Ten Crack Commandments. And if you listen to Biggie, Biggie recites those Ten Crack Commandments that the Chamber brothers came up with. And these Crack Commandments, like, stuff was in order. Whether you say it's a bad business or not, what you have to understand is a lot of the time there wasn't really no chaos that was really going on in these neighborhoods when you had the people like, you know, Tookie Williams, you know, Larry Hoover, Carnell Jones, um, you know, Jeff Fort. Um, you know, when, when, when you have these people, uh, Freeway Ricky Ross, when you had these people they had things in order. There wasn't really no murdering really going on. But see, what happened is when you take that top, when you take that top guy out who had order, all right, even though it's a ruthless business, and I'm not taking up for these people when I say this, I'm not taking that side. What I'm saying is there wasn't really any violence, really. There wasn't that much violence going on when these top people was out. But when those people got arrested and then those foot soldiers took over there was internal fighting within themselves to try to be that top guy and then what ended up happening while the end fighting is going on the other crews started creeping into their territory so then they're trying to claim their territory so then they start fighting each other and so then people are fighting for territory and they're fighting for power and that's what happens. And the FBI knew that. The FBI was like, if we take the, the genius out, if we take the smart guy out, these guys below, they're going to be fighting within each other. And then you can ruin it internally. And that's what ended up happening. And that's why the drug game got so crazy. Because when you watch these documentaries, you see back in like the 80s, it wasn't like this. It wasn't like the way that it turned into. So the end story of Larry Davis is, you know, he's, he's paralyzed. He's changed his life. He's been behind prison walls since he was 19 years old. And he lives to tell the story that he actually shot at the police that was trying to kill him. Because anytime, whether it's self-defense or not, you shoot at the police, you're a done deal. Now, you can say he's a done deal for being behind those walls as long as he's have. But a lot of them never make it past that day. And I just thought that it was a story that, you know, I don't know if my audience is aware of it, but I just wanted to mention it. And it's funny that it really even took me this long to even talk about somebody like Larry Davis, because I just felt that his story was, you know, fascinating um, to be 
trying to make it in music. And like I said, we don't know where he could have been. And like that's why I say, like, a lot of these guys, man, when you really look at their stories, they was very, very smart businessmen. You know, Frank Lucas, um, what's my man's name? Called himself Mr. Untouchable. Nicky Bonds. Like when you when you looked at a lot of these guys, man, like they was they were really smart people. They just wasn't afforded the opportunities. And like my uncle Washington always said, they keep moving the finish line. They're always changing it. Like, all right, all you need is a high school diploma. You get a high school diploma. When then you need a degree, you get the degree. When then you need a master's. It's like when it came to black people, they kept moving the finish line to where these guys can never get forward. And then you put in a mold. And that mold is these drugs that first, you know what I'm saying? First, second, third guy start selling drugs, start wearing gold chains. And you know what I'm saying? They got the fresh shell toe Adidas on. And it's just like, they're looking at this guy like, oh my God, like I want to be like him because a lot of the time the drug dealers became the role models. And that's what a lot of these guys ended up doing. And I just wanted to tell the story of, uh, of Larry Davis, man. Um, I just think that there's a way to look at things. Um, but I always think that there's a deeper story behind it. Um, I don't think Larry Davis is a bad guy. Um, I think he was just in a bad situation and he was trying to find a way out. And that was the best way that he knew that he could get out. And that was the quickest way that he could make the money to get the music career started that he wanted. And a lot of people said that he was good. Like they said that he was one of the top DJs. Like a lot of people was really rocking with Larry Davis. And they really couldn't believe what was going on. And not only that, but like, you know, there was a guy telling the story about how, the, you know, they would be in the middle of a music session and he would get a phone call and he'd be like, yo, y'all gotta go. And he'd be like, they'll see these cops coming up. He's like, they'll just walk in, they don't even knock. And so Larry was dealing with these guys to get to what he wanted in life. And you can call it bad, but when you think about a lot of the people that got rich in this country, especially back in the day, I mean, you look at Kennedy, you know, they say that Jack Kennedy was, you know, involved with the mafia. And who, who all knows what type of business they was doing. Um, you know, even when you look at the Trump family, like it's very questionable how a lot of these people even got these riches to start off with. You know, um, so if you want to be the person who downed these guys for selling crack back in the 80s and things like that, just think about how some of these people got rich just out of nowhere and just had all of this power. Like you gotta realize some of these people did some bad things to get to where they are right now. So I just wanted to tell that story, man. You know, a lot of people feel like Larry Davis should be free. A lot of people feel like Larry Davis never should have even been arrested in the first place. So, excuse me. And I'm gonna end it there, man. Um, you know, first and foremost, you know, shout out to Uncle Washington. Um, my co-host on the Stolen Time Podcast. Um, go check that out. All major platforms. Um, shout out to Scoots Bronson, my co-host of the Viewers Anonymous Podcast. That's also available on all major platforms. That also includes 
YouTube. For the people that are watching on YouTube, you can go to Scoots Bronson TV on YouTube to get the visuals of the Viewers Anonymous podcast, or you could just go to, you know, any place like Apple or Spotify, Google Play, anything like that. Um, shout out to Casey. Um, that's my guy. Um, he was on the last episode with me. Him and Scoots Bronson was on the last Viewers Anonymous. Uh, not Viewers Anonymous, but the 28 Minutes of Less podcast. So go check them out. Shout out to Candice, man. Um, appreciate her support and for her listening to all the podcasts and giving me feedback and all of those things like that. Shout out to Mark. Shout out to, um, shout out to my boy Sin. Shout out to my guy Nate. Um, I appreciate everybody for listening. I really appreciate everybody's support. Um, rate, subscribe um, for me if you don't mind. Send back some feedback, anything that you want to hear, any you know, any kind of suggestion that you have. I'm down to hear it. Um, I just really appreciate everybody who's rocking with me. You know, um, I put a lot of thought into these podcasts, put a lot of effort into it, uh, trying to take it to the next level. I appreciate everybody's support. And this was episode 33. And until the next time, I'm out.